Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Oh, God. Who's going to be next? Ah! Ah! Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. Maybe nobody knows how to stop him. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Here's Johnny. <gasps> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Here, here. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Sometimes, that is better. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Screaming Cinema Podcast. Uh, We are right in the middle uh, of our uh, special October uh, series. We are going over uh, the Halloween series, uh, film by film. Uh, This is episode two of five, and uh, this week uh, we have uh, the privilege of going over the Thorn trilogy. Uh, so that's Halloween 4, 5, and 6. So uh, we are uh, very excited to get on that. Uh, I am one of your hosts, uh, as always, uh, Tyler. And uh, joining me, as always, are my other uh, two co-hosts. Uh, who do we got on the other side? Uh, this is Max, and I cannot wait to talk about the Thorn series here, man. This is a great little trilogy from Halloween. And uh, after this, we kind of get into a bit of a shit show for a while. Yeah, they they definitely vary in uh, you know quality from <laughs> from film to film of the of the Thorn trilogy for sure. But uh, who else we got over there? Uh, James Stephen Rudd, right? Uh huh. That's James Cole, Paul Stephen Rudd, <laughs> oh, Ant yeah. Man, the, th- uh, yeah. the third, the seventh. Um, yeah, I'm here. I love the Thorn trilogy. I think it's awesome. It is. Uh, maybe I love it. It's my favorite part of the series. To maybe, be honest, to be quite honest, maybe minus one uh, of them, but uh, maybe they're all good. I mean, they're they're all good in your heart, I guess, if you if you choose to believe that. But uh, 
Yeah, um, I I really like the Thorn trilogy as well. I mean, Halloween, you know, doesn't take a ton of risks, but I would I would say that this was kind of the one time in the series that they kind of took a risk. I mean, wouldn't y'all say? Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and then obviously Rob Rob Zombie just takes all risks, but right. But I was gonna say like within like this era of you know, yeah, the of the series, you know, from like the seventies and the eighties. And I guess the yeah. 90s, but, but, I mean, but, you know, you kind of see what you see is what you get, though, with the Halloween movies, though. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it's kind of tough. They, they do take risks, but it's exactly what you expect. I don't think there's, like, stagnant as, like, the Jason series for the most part, but, like. Yep. True. You know, they're, cool. they're cool. Before we get into Halloween, we got to talk about something that the th- all three of us just picked up here in the last week, and that has been dominating my Instagram feed and Facebook and pretty much every social media for uh, for movie buffs here, and that's the Jason uh, Friday the 13th Deluxe collect- Collector's Edition box set. How awesome was that whenever, to get that package? Whenever you said something, like, here's something that we all three picked up, I was just going to be like, COVID. Oh, no, thank God. <laughs> Please, no, I please don't, don't go COVID. there. I don't. <laughs> no, much much better than COVID. Uh, yeah, we all got we all got it. It's uh, beautiful. I'm looking at it right now, and it looks really sharp on my shelf. So I, I'm pretty excited. But it got me really motivated to want to get the big Halloween set, though. I know. Me too. Tyler, yeah, how's it look? yeah. I can I can dust off my shoulders on that one. <laughs> um, no, post that's... it to your Instagram. Now, Post both of them next to each other to your Instagram. I, yeah, that'd I, be cool. I really should. I really should. And um, I think I, I think I told you once before. I randomly put that that Halloween set on like a story one time, and literally within about an hour, I had like three people hit me up, be like, "Hey, is that for sale? Is that for sale?" And I'm like, "No, it's not for sale. Leave me alone." <laughs> Yeah, the Friday the Thirteenth set looks nice though. It looks like it's a bit a little bit wider, right, than the Halloween one. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I love the the disc. I know we talked about it. I think black would have been cooler for the uh, Blu-ray cases than clear, but overall, I think it looks awesome. Got a lot of alternate artwork on them, and um, I saw a couple reviews of the new scans. I haven't got a chance to dig into them yet, but apparently, the four K scans on the first four look awesome. So that's going to be really cool to see. Hell yeah. It's such an upgrade from that set that we had, that eight film set. Yep. Yep. And it was nice because I sold that, um, got into a little e- eBay bender here, uh, courtesy of, nice. uh, of James. So I sold my uh, eight film collection one and then I went on the Scream Factory sale and bought the Omen and the Fly and sold my Blu-rays of that to help recoup at least half the cost. So it's nice to upgrade and be able to get a little of the money back. So. Man, we could do a whole podcast on like the economics of Blu-ray hunting and like smart ways to do it. Because uh, yeah. I think I've kind of like cracked the code of like having a hefty budget every month by being able to get a lot of stuff by all. So it's still not like breaking my bank. Um, and I kind of just like you move. I don't know. It's kind of like a whole thing, you know, Let's but do it. it's 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 cool. It's it's cool the way you're doing it. And there are smart ways to have a really hefty Blu-ray collection if you do put some money into it, but can Make sure you do it smart. Um, 
So, but eBay is addictive, and and that it has a great Blu-ray market. So for sure, it definitely is. Um, I think we're gonna keep the intro on this one short and just get right into it because we got three movies to talk about uh, this week for you guys. So I think we're gonna have uh, James Cole here kick it off with Halloween Four, obviously the return of Michael Myers. Yeah, buddy. Oh, are we doing it right now? Okay, wow. I it it comes at you right fast. into the fire, baby. <laughs> Dude, Michael Myers is out of the fire. Out of the fire and uh, into uh, into the ambulance. Into a hay bale and into and the hay bales. You may notice we were skipping three. We're going to do it with that one later. We wanted to stick with the Michael Myers story first. So be on the lookout for that after Halloween. Yeah, that'll be really fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, Halloween 4, it's um, it, it's a really solid entry in the in the series. But it it kind of takes place. I, I'm trying, you know, it's, it's kind of fuzzy to me um at times because it i always get so overwhelmed with joy at the beginning of this movie (laughs) but i I don't know why it's that fucking fall montage man that thing just gets you right in the right in the halloween spirit just trees and bales of hay and leaves so i i might say that this halloween has the best opening of of any in in the series like it's it's so different and it just it completely sets the mood like from the start. So yeah, yeah, it 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 really does. Okay, so I'll go ahead and read you pretty much like the little IMDb synopsis of the movie to kind of get you into it. I think it's totally best. It's quick and it's you know it's just a better way of doing it. But this movie is directed by somebody I've never heard of, Dwight H. Little, um, and it seems like this guy like kind of had some instincts when it comes to making this movie. I think with it, it's like one of the first movies I saw from this horror era, personally. I don't know if you guys grew up with it, but I didn't. The thing is, the Akkads, they wanted to... I think it was the Akkads, you guys tell me, that wanted to uh, switch away from Halloween, but then they had to come back because Halloween 3 was such a, you know, a swing and a miss, but... I don't know whose idea it was to bring back Myers or why they wanted to, well, but so so when Carpenter and Hill were still kind of involved in the series, you know, they were involved up up for the series up to three. Like, you know, they still had their hands in two and three. And like I think they wanted to kind of steer it away, you know, from Michael Myers. Like, you know, they were never keen on a sequel. And then that's when, you know, John Carpenter and, you know, Tommy Lee Wallace, you know, who actually uh, um, um, ended up directing three, you know, went with what they went with to try to, you know, release a new Halloween, you know, different anthology story every year. And three just absolutely like bombed, uh, you know, uh, I think financially uh, and, you know, critically. And so, you know, after that, you know, Mustafa Akkad was just like, I mean, bring back Myers, like bring back my, you know, cash cow, basically. So, but it was the perfect time. It was a perfect time. So, he, 10 years after the original massacre, I guess that would be, oh gosh, how many years after the one, 25 years when, from when he was a kid. So, Michael Myers is like 31 at this time, right? Michael Myers is 31. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Myers is 31. So, I love the invalid I love Michael that Myers. Will, Michael okay. Myers is 21. <laughs> no, 10 years ago, he changed the face of Halloween. Tonight, he's back. Yeah, tonight, he's back. It is good, and it's a badass poster, too. Um, I'll stop so, cutting you off so you can read your synopsis. No, you're, you're good. You're good. We've had so many stops and starts because there's. it's hard for me to... I love this movie, so it's hard for me to kind of 
wrap my mind around it every time because I like to just let it absorb me. So it's kind of weird to talk about it because this movie really gets me in the feels in a lot of ways. Uh, so 10 years after his original massacre, the invalid Michael Myers awakens on Halloween Eve and returns to Haddonfield to kill a seven-year-old niece. Can Dr. Loomis stop him? Um, he kind of can. Okay, he kind. <laughs> the answer is kind of. Um, so Myers is back in Haddonfield. He comes back... Um, and he's actually not dead out of the fire, of course, from part two. Um, he comes back to get little Jamie Lloyd, which I get a little muddled on like all the familial stuff. Um, it's been a couple weeks since I've actually watched this, but I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. Um, so she is his niece. So would that make him, that would make Laurie Strode her aunt then, right? No, uh, Laurie, Laurie Strode, Strode's her mom. Her mom. Laurie Strode's uh, her mom? She, in, in, in this timeline, she she died in a car accident. Um, yep. And so uh, she got, uh, I guess, adopted or fostered uh, by the right. family that she's with in the film. So, yeah, she is Laurie's daughter. So who did Laurie sleep with? Did she sleep with the guy from the second one? Let's just say that it's Laurie and Jimmy's daughter. <laughs> Lori and for, Jimmy. For all, for, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> I just have never... I, I've seen this movie so many times. I've never been really clear on that. But she's staying with a really cool family, in my opinion. I love Ellie Cornell, who plays Rachel Carruthers. And yes. she is basically her sister surrogate. Um, even though she... They really like to point out that she's not her real sister. And of I course. think that's really strange. Um, but... I, I love the family dynamic um, in this one. And, you know, she she gets upset, basically, because uh, the setup of the whole movie is, you know, they're at home before school. It's spooky out. The, the fall leaves are out. Um, Rachel and Jamie, who are basically the two main stars of the film, uh, aside from, of course, Loomis, um, are just kind of living their lives. Rachel wants to go on a date. Um, she can't with uh, Brady. I think is his mm-hmm. name Brady, mm-hmm. um, but played by Sasha Jensen, who's pretty awesome from Days of Confused, um, who does a good job of being a shit bag in a way in this movie. But I, you know, um, he's he does some stupid young guy stuff, and so they're doing their family stuff. There ends up being a spat between Rachel and Jamie, and Jamie starts to feel a little ostracized, isolated, more so than she already is. She's starting to have these visions. She's like geeking out. There's something strange about her, and she's played by Danielle Harris in one of the all-time best child performances, in my opinion. I love it. She's fantastic in every way, and they totally screw her over in part six, but we'll get to that later. Um, Justice for Jamie Lloyd, totally. Um, I love her. Um, So, yeah, all that's going on, and Loomis is tracking down Myers. He gets to a gas station. Something freaky happens, and the movie's off. I mean, I, I think it's... These two, you know, kind of these two storylines, they coalesce in a way that I think is really well done. It's over the top in some ways. You have some mob mentality, Frankenstein's monster type stuff in this movie that's really effective. Um, You have a good solid cast. Um, You know, Sheriff Brackett's gone. Now we got Sheriff Ben Meeker, who's awesome. Uh, I like Sheriff Meeker in these movies. Plus, I like to say Meeker. So, you know, you really get the feel of the town again. In a way that I think is really organic, and I think which um, they changed from uh, Pasadena to Salt Lake City, so you actually get definitely some more of the real fall vibes instead of having to uh, totally. fake it and hide all the palm trees. 
Totally. Um, uh. I I have always thought that Four uh, does the best job of portraying the town of Haddonfield. Like I I really do feel like the film just it totally gets it right. Like just the feel of the town, the townspeople who are present in this film, like the look, like you know the trick or treating scenes, like everything in this film, like they, they nailed the town of, of, of Haddonfield. Like, you know, I, I know the Haddonfield has been portrayed in, you know, seven or eight movies like over the years, but like four to me, like is the quintessential Haddonfield in, in my honest opinion. So that's pretty, I, I totally agree with that. I think it, it feels organic. I mean, think of a movie like trick or treat or even the new Halloween, these movies that look really good, Production wise and cinematography wise, but there's still an artifice there because of you can feel the filmmakers pull. This feels just kind of like it's always been this way. We're just showing up here. Exactly. Mister, I feel like uh, at the beginning, there's a couple cool points, too, is uh, I love the hospital uh, or the ambulance scene. You don't get to see it all of it directly you get michael myers of the cool kill and then the aftermath where it cracked me up because loomis is like oh it's just an accident and he wades out into the water in his full clothes to go see the inside of the ambulance and then you get the awesome scene of him hitchhiking back into town where he meets the the crazy drunk priest <laughs> which is an awesome oh, scene the, by the way <laughs> yes it is. He asks, like, you know, you're after it, aren't you? And he's like, are you after it, too? And they're just talking about evil. And, yeah, it's a really great scene that's, uh, I think, sometimes forgotten for sure. He, It's like Loomis is, like, connecting in this world. But, like, it's not – it's like he's seeing himself kind of looking back at him. But, like, maybe he doesn't really exactly like what he sees. But at the same time, he's, like, kind of charmed by it in a way. Is that, is that guy, guy, like, a non-actor, you think? I don't know. He's uh, the his little monologue is awesome. Apocalypse, end of the world. Armageddon has a face and a name. I've been hunting the bastard for thirty years, give or take. Come close a time or two, too damn close. You can't kill damnation, Mister. Don't die like a man dies. And Loomis says, "I know that, Mister Sayer." <laughs> so, oh no. It. Okay, so it, that is the guy from the wedding singer, the old man in the bar, in nice. the wedding singer. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> is that that guy? It is him. So definitely an actor. That guy rules. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I love that scene too. Uh, which which comes straight from uh, that scene uh, at the garage, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, I don't know, man. Like uh, my feelings toward Michael's mask in this movie almost make me wish he would have just gone with uh, with the bandage look, maybe throughout the film. Like I yeah. I know I know that's not Michael's like mo by any means at all, but like. You know, four is one of my least favorite masks, like of the series, and uh, I don't know. He just looked damn freaky uh, when he was in those diner scenes, uh, wrapped up in those bandages, um, when he uh, offed everyone in the in the garage slash diner. No, I agree. It looked really cool. Well, it's like you know, Jason is in a bag. Mm-hmm. People don't think about that. Yeah, and and yeah. I love I I love baghead Jason like. Two is my exactly is, is my favorite entry in you know Friday the Thirteenth, but uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, uh, I what what I love about this film is you know it's shot very dark and it's 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 very it it has a very foreboding atmosphere like anywhere they go like they could be either on the street trick or treating. Uh, huddled inside the Meeker's house uh, at the elementary school. Every scene is shot in a way 
that, you know, we kind of went from Halloween 2, which was kind of like very bright and very red. And, you know, even though that hospital was a very dingy and dark setting, you know, it 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 still kind of had some 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 light scenes. Um, but four is uh, has has a very foreboding atmosphere throughout the whole picture. Um, did you guys catch that? Yeah, I, I did. And I was actually laughing because I didn't recognize the name Dwight H. Little, but I was just looking him up too. He did this movie that Arrow released last year called Bloodstone. That is like just a crazy '80s action movie. And then he did uh, Phantom of the Opera, Free Willy Two, Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid, Tekken, and Last Rampage. So he's kind of all over the place in his uh, his 40 year career here too. But for this one, I definitely dig the vibe of of how they have it shot and the darkness of everything. Uh, it definitely feels like, you know, maybe some of the other ones are at dusk where this one is full on like 10, 11 PM for the majority of it. For sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, while, while not quite as like effective as Carpenter, I mean, I, I think Dwight H. Little does a really good job of, you know, ratcheting up that, that tension. Um, one of the main scenes that I always look back to is, you know, when, when uh, Sheriff Meeker and, uh, you know, Dr. Loomis uh, pick up Jamie and Rachel for the first time and they're in the middle of that street and then all of a sudden they start looking around and Michael's just everywhere. You know, there's there's Michael over here, there's Michael over there. And, I mean, even though we, we know immediately, like, you know, it's probably somebody messing with him, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really creepy scene. I mean, even though you probably know what's coming, but, um, you know... Where you just, find out it's just teenagers... Yep, Sc- Scream 2 kind of copied that too, or 2 and 3 both kind of played on that where everyone has the masks of, of the serial killer, even though they're kind of, I guess, in a world where he's not really famous necessarily, but more of an urban legend, but that was interesting for sure. Yeah, those kids were like, hey, 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 no, 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 and then they run off mocking them. <laughs> I, I just don't get that. Like, dude, I would be so terrified to taunt the cops in that way. It's like, dude, you almost got yourself killed. Yeah, and then from there, what? So we go, uh, uh, Rachel has to bail on her date with Brady, takes uh, Jamie out trick-or-treating, sees uh, Brady um, with, uh, with a new girl. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. On, yeah, the, ride, on the ride over uh, to the store, uh, her friend that drives them, her name is Lindsay. Did you catch that? No. Did you catch that? Lindsay, uh, Lindsay is supposed to be Lindsay Wallace uh, is it, from the first film. Is it supposed to be her? Oh, it really is. Like they, nice. they have said that that is supposed to be Lindsay Wallace. So, uh, little little tidbit there. Sorry. No, Sorry I, did, I did not catch that. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but that is funny when when she goes, she has to bail on the date with Brady to take you know trick or treating, and they go to his date's house now, and it's just so funny because she just walks up like in a, in a shirt, like you know, just hooked up and just giving out candy to kids, anyways. And um, cops do it by the book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That sure, and Brady runs out and tries to like make things over with her, and she's not. And so he's like, "Ah, might as well just go in and uh, you know do what I came here for." So that was a really funny scene there. And after they go trick or treating, like you said, they get picked up by um, Loomis and Sheriff Meeker to go get um, boarded up in the house of Sheriff Meeker because the police station had got annihilated. Right? I feel like how many times they do that in these films where Michael Myers goes into the police station. And murders everything. I think it happens at least two or three times in these series. So yeah, Michael. Of... 
Michael has has called out the cops. I think in at least two or three films, like in the well, in it's the these these movies. It's all of these movies. Yep, yeah. that's true. Yeah, yeah, four and five for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, that that scene that takes entirely uh, place at you know Sheriff Meeker's house. I I loved that entire like sequence of events, like you go from downstairs in the basement where they're trying to call for help. Yep. You go like up to the main, like middle part of the house where all the drama is, you know, going on with Rachel and, you know, Brady and stuff like that. And then you have the attic upstairs, which is just creepy in its own right. So, I mean, you have all these levels of this house and like every part of this house is just pitch black, you know, like I know Michael, you know, caused that like power outage or whatever uh, earlier in the film, uh, R.I.P. Bucky, uh, the electrician. Oh yeah, but- <laughs> totally, for- totally forgot that scene. He's tosses him into the t- like he's smart in this one. He's like, I'm not gonna just kill you know phone lines at every house or shut the power off. I'm gonna toss the power main and take out the whole entire town's power. So that was definitely a memorable part and one that was pretty funny. But there's a really cool shot. Now you're talking about how it's dark, but when one of the officers is watching the front door. Um, and Kelly, is it Kelly or Jamie Lloyd? One of them comes over, Rachel, um, Rachel, Rachel comes over. with, with some, uh, tea and Kelly comes over and it shows a shot of Michael in the back where it's just his mask down the hallway. Really cool mm-hmm. shot. And then obviously, um, you know, he starts picking people off one by one in the house and you get a really cool, um, conclusion and some great deaths that we can, we can talk about in a little bit too. For sure. Is this the, is it, is it in the fourth one when, uh, the uh, cop is in the rocking chair. Yep. 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 Yeah, this is great. That's a great scene. Yeah, and um, I want to talk uh, a little bit uh, about the rednecks uh, that are in town uh, hunting down Michael Myers. They're um, awesome. Yeah, they they are. Uh, so I'm from a very small town uh, in you know in you know Texas. You know, born and raised uh, for 18 years until I graduated high school. This would be the exact same thing that would happen in my hometown if a serial killer was loose and started offing people. You'd have your good old boys get up in the pickup truck with their shotguns and they'd go after him. So, I mean, this is exactly what would happen, you know? And I, and I love it because like they're, they're out for blood. Like they even mention like, in the film, like, you know, one of their kids, you know, got killed by Michael years earlier. Uh, you know, so, so they're out for revenge and, you know, they're, uh, they're just, you know, devil may care attitude, man. I love it. Yeah. Don't they kill, don't they kill a a townsperson too? When they first think they see him, they all (laughs) pull out their guns and just unload everything and like, Oh, whoops, that's uh, not him. We just killed one of our, one of our neighbors, (laughs) one of our own. I mean, but they, um, they mean business, and there's some good stuff that they integrate them in to the movie. I think it really, it works well. It's effective, uh, especially and it's when funny. the police force is dispatched, right? Because the, sh- the cops are yeah. like, you know, we don't want to have this militia or this mob mentality go home. But then once it's just him left and the one deputy left and everyone else is dead, he kind of has to um, let them go. And they have some great scenes in, in that last car ride they have to one of my favorite, just most gruesome kills they have where dude gets his like face ripped off. <laughs> yeah, he basically gets his neck like ripped apart. Uh, yeah by michael but we'll get to that in the in the kills section yep for sure but uh yeah so do we want to talk 
about the ending now or later? Because uh, it definitely needs to be talked about. Um, let's I go. Guess, let's go with Michael Petraeus and the kills. We can talk about it then because it's kind of the last uh, air quote yeah. kill. Okay. All right. All right. Good point. So, <laughs> so let's talk about a few uh, of the actors and characters uh, of this film. So, um, obviously, Donald Pleasance uh, is back uh, as you know Doctor Loomis. Uh, this is his third portrayal uh, of you know Doctor Loomis. Um, you know, and and this is now kind of Donald Pleasance's you know series, like you know going forward. I mean, you know, in in one and two, you know, it kind of split time, you know, between you know him and you know Laurie Strode, and but I mean now, like I mean Loomis is front and center, you know, for the rest of these films, and in this one in particular, Loomis is kind of teetering in that territory of kind of getting a little crazy and senile a little bit yeah uh, um a little bit more than in like one and two where he was kind of very straightforward and just very uh you know determined and he's the the years have not been kind to him uh you know when this movie begins uh he's very uh he's very jaded he's very you know he's he's scarred emotionally and physically um you know and he's 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 struggling. Uh, you know, you can tell it in his, in his attitude, but, uh, you know, Donald Pleasance does a great job, uh, as always, uh, you know, portraying Loomis, uh, really, really does a great job in every scene that he's in, in this film. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, he's amazing. I think that what he does and what makes him so good is his, I don't know, man. I just can't believe Donald Pleasance really gives this much to this role. And I can't really figure out why. Does he feel connected to him in some way, you think? Well, he wouldn't have kept coming back, you know, over and over and over because, like, he was at a point in his career and in his life where, I mean, he didn't He was need, old? Well, I, I mean, he didn't need the money anymore. Like, I mean, he was fine. So, I mean, obviously, it, it, it brought him joy, you know, playing this character. You know, I mean, I don't really see any other, any other reason of, of why he would continue to do that, would you? I mean, no, no, I, I don't. I also, when I think about Loomis, I think, you know, he's not great with kids. <laughs> no. We'll, we'll see that in five specifically. <laughs> right. He's just not good with kids. He traumatizes them. He's trying to protect them, but he frightens them. Yeah. Horribly. And I think that's kind of hilarious. <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, this one I like. I think one of the things that makes it is after um, Loomis, two of my favorite characters, and I think in the franchise, uh, Rachel Carruthers and Jamie Lloyd. It's just a really good combo. And obviously, like all of these films in the sequel to this, they fuck both of them up and just completely ruin what you built out um, in Halloween 4. Mm-hmm. But really good performance between the two of those. Obviously, she's kind of being the... Um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis role as the protector of Jamie Lloyd, who's now the main target of Michael Myers. Um, and then obviously, you know, she, I don't know. She's, you feel so bad for her and she's so nice and lovable. And obviously, uh, Daniel Harris plays a great role in Jamie Lloyd and you just definitely do not want to see her get murdered by Michael Myers. It's like the ultimate, um, you know, thing that you don't want to see happen in this movie. And they kind of tease at it and have a showdown too. So, um, those are two characters I really like in the franchise for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, Rachel, Rachel is one tough cookie. Uh, she really, uh, goes for it in this movie. And like, I mean, even though she's no match for Michael, uh, whatsoever like she's still going to give it her damnedest and you know protect you know her you know her you know in name sister you know she will do whatever it takes to protect her uh and i i love her character and just how how tough she is um you know i've i've always loved that and you know i mean daniel harris is obviously a you know mainstay of of the halloween you know franchise I think she's right under, you know, Donald Pleasance and, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of the headline uh, character, you know, of this entire franchise. But God, you you feel for her, man. Like, you know, when she is running away from him and she's all alone, like, God, like I, I almost get a little misty eyed just because like, I mean, man, like she's just she's so lovable and she's so just dynamic as a as a child actress like she makes you feel for her like every second of that film and you don't want anything to happen to her at all um you know so uh she she is just absolutely gold in this movie can i can i throw down the gauntlet what's that i mean i think that she's probably my favorite character in any of the halloween movies really i like that yeah, definitely. I definitely like her over everybody. And then Rachel. And then you got, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis for me as Laurie Strode. Just because, you know, I mean, through some fault, but maybe no fault of her own. I don't know. I just think Laurie coming back is like, okay, okay. And even though I don't like where Jamie's character ends up, it's still, I mean, it still has some muddled stuff in it that we'll talk about. But it really kind of feels complete and sad and bittersweet from the start, you know? Yeah. And even though we don't really get more, like, five does such a short shrift to Rachel and Jamie, I'm still watching them in four still, I think, is is pretty moving. And I think, um, you know, those actors, they really do a great job of portraying that in a way that I don't think, I think it's a little underrated. So, uh, you know, this, I don't know, man. I think two is definitely better made in a way more technically proficient, but this one's probably my favorite sequel. Yeah. It's probably um, my second favorite Halloween movie. Yeah. I, I go back and forth between two and four, uh, about what my favorite sequel is, but I'll, I'll get into that in our, in our closing opinions and, and thoughts and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, those three definitely carry the film, but, uh, a couple more supporting characters we have, uh, I like uh, Bo Star uh, as uh, you know Sheriff Meeker. Uh, yeah, Sheriff Meeker is definitely the no nonsense and tougher version, uh, uh, way more than Sheriff Brackett ever was. Uh, Brackett was definitely uh, a little more, uh, a little more clueless, a little more just kind of like you know I don't want this happening in my town. Uh, Meeker is kind of like let's go get the son of a bitch, like you know let's you know let's hunt him down. Uh, type thing, but uh, yeah, I I really like his portrayal. He's 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 a he's a tough guy, uh, you know, definitely looking out for his daughter and these you know girls that you know him and Loomis are you know trying to protect. And um, you know, I've I've always liked uh, his his character as well. Yep, and then um, obviously Kathleen Kinmont is Kelly Meeker, very memorable performance here, and I didn't even realize she was the. Um, 
main character for or the bride and bride of reanimator totally didn't even uh, put that together but um she's a fun character obviously taking on uh brady away from um rachel but it's a interesting performance and she has a horrible death <laughs> man <laughs> does she ever I don't really know if there's a ton more people to talk about besides, I guess you have the one other officer and Brady, right? Just kind of your, your main five characters there. Yeah. Brady, uh, you know, Brady, I think Brady gets a bad rep. Uh, he, uh, you know, obviously he does Rachel wrong. Uh, but I think he, uh, ultimately, uh, kind of, uh, you know, makes up for it in, in his end, uh, in his death, uh, fighting for her. So, um, you know, that's kind of uh, a little retribution for the character, I feel like. That's true. I mean, you don't blow off dates at the last minute. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but if Kelly Meeker asked me to come over, I, I can't I can't deny that I wouldn't. So. Oh, dude, don't do Rachel like that. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's uh let's get into some of the uh some of the kills uh of this of this film. Um Oh, actually, we totally skipped over uh, the man himself, uh, Michael Myers. So let's talk about him for a second. Uh, so George P. Wilbur uh, is the guy that uh, you know portrays Michael in in this film. Uh, this is his first of two portrayals uh, that he does. I think he's only one of two or three actors to do that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think George Wilbur does. Uh, uh, a really good job. Um, he, uh, he definitely has the physical presence. Like I, I think he, he's one of the more bigger guys to, uh, you know, portray Michael. So, uh, you know, definitely not as big as like your Tyler main, you know, once you get into the zombie <laughs> films, but, uh, but you know, he's not eight fucking feet tall, like Tyler main, let's just say that. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's really good. And this is kind of the film, uh, I think where Michael kind of starts to exhibit, uh, more kind of like supernatural type, like, uh, you know, being, uh, um, 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 invulnerable and kind of, kind of super strength type, type thing, you know, kind of how Jason did, you know, in the Friday the 13th, in the Friday the 13th series, when he went from, you know, four to six, uh, Michael definitely starts getting, uh, a little less human, uh, in this film, but, uh, you know, I think it still works for the character for sure. I heard, I heard that, um, and this might be urban legend, but I heard that um, George P. Wilbur bare knuckle boxed Kane Hodder for this role in no, one. No way. No, I'm not kidding. That would <laughs> that would be fucking amazing. He, yeah, that uh, would be. That would he be he plays him in six, but not in five too, right? Yeah. Well, no. So he pop he pops up in six in a cameo. He gets killed. Oh, okay. Wait, so who? he's in it. Who? George P. Wilbur. George P. Wilbur uh, portrayed Michael all of six as well. Really? Yes. Yes. I wonder. So, I wonder what happened with five, where they went back. Five. Uh, five was portrayed by another guy, but we'll get into that uh, yeah, okay. here in a bit. But uh, uh, so let's talk about the mask for a second. Uh, this is the first film in the series, I think, uh, where the mask is truly not good. Um, I definitely think the mask uh, definitely takes away some of uh, Michael's, uh, you know, scariness and 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 you know creepiness. I think the mask is way too 
uh, I don't know, kind of cheap looking and yeah, you know, very... it's oversized and open at the bottom where you can see like, you know, it's not form fitting and <laughs> it's, you can see his neck all over it and sticks out and yeah, it's crazy. Well, that... well, well that's in five, five, five is the one where it's completely open. Like okay. at the neck four, four is definitely more of like a kind of like rounded face. Uh, you know, definitely doesn't like have the clear features uh, that one and two had, uh, and then a lot of other masks in the series has. So I'm definitely not a fan uh, of the mask in four. And, and you get the uh, the yellow hair in four too. The the quick shot. Yeah. Where... <laughs> uh, the the pink face, kind of pinkish face, and the blonde hair uh, for a whole two seconds uh, in the in the elementary school, uh, if you can catch it for sure. <laughs> Yeah, definitely goes downhill with the masks. I mean, pretty much the rest of the time here. I can't believe like you hear about all these reshoots and we want to do this and we want to change this and we spend, you know, five, 10, 15 million dollars on the movies um, coming up on the sequels. It's just insane to me how you can't get a studio to recreate a mask. It's just all the stuff that we've watched too with documentaries. Apparently they did, you know, tens and hundreds of options and tried to do it, but just couldn't recreate what they had uh, in the original and in the second, which just blows my my mind wait till we get to h2o man h2o is the worst yeah like balance of mask like in the in the entire series for sure so um, we do uh do you want to get into the kills then or anything else to be said about michael here i don't think so i just think you know george p wilbur uh he's he's solid so uh yeah so uh unmentioned deaths i guess you got laurie strode and whoever her baby daddy was who died in a car accident and left a uh, old Jamie Lloyd there to be an orphan. And we kick things off pretty good with this one. Obviously Michael's getting transported from the hospital, um, on Halloween, which I think the doctor said he was trying to go behind Loomis's back to make it happen too. Right. He's yep. like, yeah, Loomis is wouldn't want this happening, but I'm just sick of this. And of course, once he gets in the ambulance, he wakes up and puts his thumb through the forehead of, um, I guess, Attendant Black, Attendant J. Black, I have is his name here, whatever he is, but that is just an awesome kill. And then they don't really show the rest of the kills, but um, what, two more paramedics and, and the other attendant also get slaughtered in like, it looks like someone put blood in their body parts in a blender and just sprayed it all over the inside of the ambulance once... Uh, um, and we, we see it a little bit later here. So that's definitely a great way to kick things off and not have any really downtime before you get the killing started. Yeah, man, the thumb through the head, <laughs> that's, that's just such a random kill. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it works. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I kind of shudder every time I see it for sure. And then where do we go from there? We go to, um, he leaves from the ambulance, walks over to, as he always does, a, a mechanic shop or tow truck and kills the guy who's just working on the car. Uh, what does he impale him, right? He's got to get that jumpsuit somehow, man. I like, know. You know, it's got to. Necessary. So we get a, we get a kill there. 
Um, and then it goes over to Bucky who gets tossed on top of the transformer. And that scene is just like, that just needs to be a, a gift that you use all the time because this guy is acts so tough to Michael Myers and you can tell he's obviously in for it. It's like, Hey buddy, this is private property. Get out of here. And then he gets scared and he's like, all right, I'm going to go call the cops. And Michael just keeps walking towards him and picks him up and tosses him and puts down the power for, for the entire town with that. For sure. Uh, and so then we go kind of, uh, I guess, uh, to the Meeker house uh, where everyone's held up, you know, locked in, you know, trying to you know, protect themselves from Michael. Michael, of course, founds his way in, uh, ends up slaughtering pretty much everyone in the house. Uh, but the best kill uh, in the Meeker house uh, involves a shotgun and not how you would think. Uh, Michael doesn't shoot the shotgun. He literally takes the shotgun and rams it through Kelly Meeker's like stomach, chest. It's so awesome. And sticks it into the wall just like the knife from from one too. Yeah, just like Bob from from one, for sure. We also have the off-screen kills of tearing up the whole police department. So three or four cops just ripping their bodies apart. There's like arm arms and arms and limbs there. Um, but yeah, the house is definitely a massacre. Um, Deputy Logan, I think Cole, you were talking about that when he's in the rocking chair, um, and that's when we find him trying to get tea brought over to him and find his face once the candle gets lit, uh, just mangled. So couple good kills there obviously like you said brady tries to be a hero and i thought he was going to get his head you know crushed at one point but ends up just with with the neck snap there but uh rough way to go out for for brady and kelly there that night classic michael head crush Mm-hmm. exactly i mean they they deserved it they were they were um adulterers <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can't um, live in these movies and be an adulterer. I don't know, man. You know that's not horror movie logic for sure. No, unless uh, you're Tom Atkins, you can do whatever you want if you're Tom Atkins. <laughs> Damn right, Tom Atkins can can do whatever the hell he wants and and, <laughs> and, and totally get off scot free. Um, After that, we get to the redneck kills, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Jamie and Rachel are trying to be uh, transported away from town. Michael catches a ride. I don't really know how uh, on the back of the truck, under the truck, something like that. Uh, and then basically stabs, maims, throws the rednecks off the truck, rips uh, one of their throats out. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Other than uh, Michael just absolutely getting blown to hell, like literally blown to hell yeah that's what you say when when it really comes to like all right this guy is never gonna die because he um you know the rednecks and police officers and everyone catches up to him and put you know 100 bullets in him and he falls down a mine shaft and we find you know find out what happens later crawling crawling away um but those those redneck kills are definitely nice and they're kind of really quick too i think one of them gets his entrails pulled out too or slashed there so um Michael goes down and then I don't really know. Do we call the, isn't there a last kill or is that, you know, uh, so, it, so it never really says if she dies or not. <laughs> well, in, in five, they, they, they cheapened out and said that she didn't. Um, I do remember that, but, uh, okay. But yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and, and talk about, uh, about said ending. Uh, 
man, this this ending, uh, when I watched it for the first time, my jaw was on the fucking floor. Uh, and it still kind of like jars me to this day. Uh, I think it's the best ending uh, of the whole franchise <clears throat> um, outside of the first one. But uh, yeah, we get... Uh, we get a killer perspective uh, going down the hall um, of the Carruthers house, mask on, basically a copycat uh, of the first film, uh, you know, putting the mask on, stalking uh, the victim down the hall. Uh, and then we end on a shot of Loomis uh, running up the stairs and just screaming in pure terror uh, as little Jamie Lloyd is up the stairs uh, with some bloody scissors. And uh, God, what? What an ending, man. Like it just, it, it completely just fucks you up. Um, yeah. Cause that's where you're expecting to have, you know, the, the slow roll into the, into the credits, right? Michael's been shot. Everything's back to normal. You know, let's have a happy family moment where, where everyone's here and we're all good and definitely not what you get. And we'll talk about it shortly here, but an ending to absolutely destroy in the next one. <laughs> what do you think of the ending? You like that one, James? Oh man, yeah, I was just listening to you guys. I think you guys said it right. It's uh I mean, I god, I, I I don't really like always being like I remember seeing this then, but I do remember seeing this movie at a young age and just not really knowing how to process that ending, not knowing that you could do that. <laughs> and yeah. that's that's the thing. Um and it's really twisted because you spend the whole movie caring for Jamie. And then you're like, well, am I supposed to still care for her? Is she evil now? And well, that's what know, just man, makes it sad. It just makes it so heartbreaking. Like this little girl yeah. that you've like grown to love, like over this movie, has now, you know, quote unquote, killed her her mom. Like, you know, what do you do at that point? You know, it's like if your own like flesh and blood or or your daughter or whatever did that, like, how would you feel? You know, it just it 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 sucks. It completely rips your heart out. Uh, but we don't know what happens to her. I mean, I guess we assume she's dead. Yeah, but I keyword mean, there assume. <laughs> yeah, but five kind of five undoes a lot. But uh, we'll get into that in in just a second. But uh, I mean, I guess we talked about it though. But we we all kind of uh, I think we're all on the similar page in this. I have this as um, you know my my third on my list. It's like we talked about great opening, great fall portrayal, great Haddonfield portrayal, um, great characters that you don't always get in the future ones that are you know there make it through the entire movie, uh, put on really good performances. So this is definitely one I like to revisit. I think I probably revisit. I do one, two, and then I usually do four, and I don't really mess with the rest of the Thorn trilogy when I'm just kind of a regular Halloween when I'm not binging the whole franchise so definitely one that you got to throw on if you usually just watch one um to throw it into the mix um yeah i'm this is the one i watched the most to be honest with you um i don't i don't know Love why it. i i got to see it at a secret screening one time i went to this like halloween movie marathon a few years ago it's like five movies in one in one saturday so i went and just sat at an alamo draft house all day and i had no idea what the next movie was going to be and, uh, man, I remember when this came on and I was like, oh my God, I get to see this on the big screen. Hell yeah. And I totally got myself a crispy beer and, uh, kicked back with it. It was great. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of mirroring 
you know, you guys' sentiments, uh, you know, almost identically. Uh, this is definitely, uh, I go back and forth about what's my second favorite uh, of the series and, and what my favorite sequel is. I always switch back and forth between two and four uh, as as being my favorite. Uh, in this last go around, uh, I definitely liked four uh, a little more. I definitely got into it a little more. But uh, yeah, what can you say? I mean, you know, Dwight H. Little, you know, he's he's not a household name, but I, I think he does a really good job, um, you know, with everything that he did uh, from the atmosphere to, you know, directing, you know, uh, you know, these characters and really just kind of, you know, throwing it all out there and just bringing Michael back. I mean, with a bang, um, you know, he was gone for, you know, almost 10 years and uh, this just completely introduces him, uh, you know, in you know, in a fantastic uh, entry in the series uh, and one that uh, definitely has great uh, rewatch value uh, over and over. So uh, definitely one of my favorites for sure. All right. So now we can continue the uh, Thorin trilogy here into the second of three films. And I think we can all agree the worst of the worst of the three here. Uh, and that is Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers from 1989. Uh, Michael. It will destroy you too. One day. Michael, this rage which drives you, you think if you kill them all, it will go away. It won't. You have to fight it in the place where it's strongest, where it all began. If you want to get rid of this rage, Michael, go home. Go home! Go to your house. I shall be there waiting for you. You'll find her waiting for you. Uh, this one is directed by Dominique Othenin Gerard, who's like a Swiss French it. director, which is just crazy to me. Just you know, guy studied at London Film School and made a bunch of I, I'm just imagine movies in, in his home country. So no idea how and how we got linked up with this. I forgot from it's been a while since I've watched uh, you know some of the documentaries or, or dug into it. But um, reading the synopsis. It's a pretty good one, just the, the main one on the IMDb here. After lying in a coma for a year, Michael Myers awakens on Halloween and stalks his way back to his small hometown in Illinois, intent on killing his niece, who has been confined to a mental, mental institution since Michael's last attempt to slay her. Suspecting a psychic link between Michael and Jamie, Dr. Sam Loomis joins forces with Ben Meeker and attempts to stop Michael's latest rampage. So I think that really sums it up well. Um, what we talked about undoing a lot of the goodness of four here, we open up and Jamie Lloyd is, um, mute. So she doesn't talk and she's in a mental institution. She's still having visions, but they're not killer visions. They're just like, you know, telepathic connection to Michael Myers where she can see where he is and what he's doing and 
who she's killing, um, how they kind of bring Michael back from the dead here is he crawls out of the mine shaft and floats down the river where he ends up in a hermit's like hut and you know he tries to kill him <laughs> and he passes out and this guy just fucking cares for him for for an entire year god knows why and doesn't Which tell Which I still anyone. don't understand why. <laughs> like why? <laughs> like why? Especially getting the logistics volume. He doesn't have anything else like, to do. Changing his bedpan and giving him sponge baths and God knows what else he's doing for, for an entire year, nursing him back to health. And the day before Halloween, he wakes up and treats his uh, comfort and care with, with a knife and takes him out and just, you know, goes back on his mission to, to kill all of his family members. He so just kills him for the hell really, out of it. He's really like, odd oh. opening there. Um, I guess the next big thing we want to talk about is Rachel. Um, who could have been a great role in this film. And pretty much, I feel like every franchise does this. You know, you have your Nightmare on Elm Streets, you have your uh, Friday the 13th films. Anytime someone is carried over, like 90% of the time, they just kill them off in the first film right away, whether it's, you, you know, you don't have the budget or you want to take in a different direction. Um, they don't want to pay them. Yeah, for, for whatever reason. Uh, but Rachel appears, you know, in, in the opening one in this one, her parents are going on a trip so they're going to have a party at her house and she she gets she gets off and then it kind of takes over as her friend uh tina is kind of looking after jamie tina (laughs) don't be mean to tina i can't help it man stop it i can't like i can't help but compare five to four just because you know they go hand in hand like you know They do. That's just the reality of the situation. I can't help but compare Tina to Rachel. And God, like, Tina is so fucking annoying. No, no, I know. I'm teasing. I do. And with the Rachel death, too, we have, um, you know, we have Jamie. Jamie Lloyd, she's at the mental institution. She grabs like a pen or crayon and starts having visions and, you know, has Loomis call and the dogs is a dog. Okay. Something's happening with a dog and start like sketching out the dog with red, with blood on it and all these different things going on. Um, so that's when we get a good scene that I know Tyler loves where police officers are called when she's just in a towel after she runs over to the neighbor's house and they say they check out the house and they're playing <laughs> clown clown music and horns and it's just awful. So so yeah, I know what they were trying to do with this. If if anyone's ever seen uh you know like Last House on the Left, uh that featured very kind of keystone cop characters, very kind of dim-witted, very uh you know just uh, you know, these cop characters who had no idea like what the fuck was going on and had no business uh, being in law enforcement. But uh, yeah, the the point in the film where you just completely shake your head is when you've got these squeaking clown <laughs> sound effects as they walk out of that house. And like every time I hear that, it just like, <laughs> it makes me fucking furious because like that that has no business being in this film whatsoever. No, right? it, it, it definitely doesn't. And I think what you say about Tina, um, you know, whatever you want to say about her character, we also have, um, you know, her friends and her boyfriend. And after kind of what they're doing is going to you know, go get alcohol and go to a Halloween uh, farm barn party. 
And that brings one of the funniest moments of the whole entire franchise to me, where there's a death that we'll talk about later, but Michael Myers puts on a mask either over his mask or swaps it. You, you never really can tell for sure, but he puts on like this, what like it's like a Neanderthal mask and he drives in his car at the exact time to go pick up Tina and take her to the party. And instead of like offing her right away, you know, he's driving and she wants to get cigarettes and he just keeps driving past. And it's just a really funny scene. Um, and luckily, you know, she gets away at that point, but uh, move on to the big farm barn party that they have with the cops also looking after it, doing a horrible job. Uh, chaos kind of uh, ensues ensues there, and then that takes us to the to the big finale with with some more deaths that we can talk about. Where Loomis thinks it's going to be a good idea to to use Jamie as bait to <laughs> attract Michael Myers and to try to kill him, which I guess is another horrible instance of him not being the best with kids. <laughs> It is the worst instance. I mean, gosh, I mean, he just, man, um, all of that stuff. I, I, I really, I think all the stuff that we were talking about and that I was listening to, you guys talk about this movie. Um, I, I, I think it's bad for sure. But at the same time, I think there's some redeeming stuff to the movie, especially at the end. Um, especially yeah. with like the, the car chase stuff. I think that's good. And some other stuff I'll talk about later down the line. And Tina is really annoying, but the stuff with her and Mike is compelling in a way because I, I don't like them, and so it's kind of fun to watch their demise, in a way. Yeah, Mike's a total douchebag. Like on his car, and his friend touches it, and he's cleaning it, and you know, checking right. his hair, and it seems like he could care less about what's going on. In, in the scenes, poor Danielle Harris and Jamie Lloyd, you know, like Danielle Harris is like acting her heart out when Tina like leaves her. And she's like, no, no, no. And just like, it's just kind of like an insult because her, her character mute, is so annoying. Why? It's just, her mute. Somebody to love. I know she her needs, mute scream too. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I know that they were trying to give this character a little bit of growth and trying to flesh her out a little bit, but her being mute was completely like unnecessary to this film. Like there was no, there was no reason that no. she, that she needed to be mute. Like, you know, she's a great actress. She, she, she pours her little heart into this role in this film. She's one of the only redeeming aspects of five. Uh, but yeah, there was no point that she needed to be mute for this film. Like she could have very well been in an institution or a hospital from the events of the previous one. She did not need to be mute. Um, yep. and I, and I will stand by that, uh, for sure. And then, um, talking about, I guess, for people who don't really know why, maybe haven't watched this whole trilogy, but we get kind of why it's called the thorn trilogy a little bit here where, uh, Michael Myers has a thorn tattoo on his wrist. And then we get a, a mysterious, uh, you know, man in black. Mm-hmm. who is just cruising through town wearing cowboy boots and just has random shots of him throughout the whole movie with no point to it until the end, which, I mean, you didn't even really need to see him anywhere to kind of lead up to it, but he's kind of just always there, whether he's following Michael Myers or, you know, helping him along. You don't really know in this in this film, but um, we can talk about the uh, the finale here probably with with the kills, but that's kind of where you start getting the Thorn trilogy, but that really is fleshed out in, in the sixth film, especially with the um, producer's cut. So 
The man in black kicks dogs. He does. He does kick a little little dog out of his way. Uh, I don't really know what to say much about the direction on this one. What, what do you guys? What do you guys? Think it's all the over the place. Filmmaking? It's very Italian. It's it's very European. I'm I'm not a fan of the way it's shot. Like like some of the design choices that they made made me scratch my head. Um, specifically with how they portrayed the Myers house. Like when did the Myers house turn into this like Victorian era like chateau? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, that's the, that's very odd how the, they did that. In the in the first couple of films, like it was it was a very basic like American style, you know, two story home. And now like it's got like <laughs> like blue designs. It has like its own like little tower thing like where staircases everywhere yeah staircases basements like all that like and i mean i i guess they wanted the space and and for it to feel like it was like a fleshed out you know house like i mean i don't really know but um there's there's no reasoning behind it besides they either couldn't find it or he just didn't give a shit about what the myers house was supposed to be it looks cool it looks cool yeah well when when you try to compare it to the other Myers houses, like in the, in the series, it just, it, it doesn't fit. Like it just, it, it, it sticks out, uh, very badly. But, uh, but no, I mean, you can just tell that this film definitely has a feeling like it, it was very rushed in a production, which it was, uh, you know, the Akkad's, you know, when four was so successful, you know, I think they immediately wanted to start shooting five, uh, right away, and that's why five was released. I think a, almost a year to the day uh, that four was. And I don't know when you have horror series like this, where you know sequels are released, you know less than or are close to a year after. It can never be good, you know. Like, when well, that- I would like to see the original script because they said that uh, Shem Bitterman wrote the original script, and his idea was that Jamie Lloyd was going to be evil after stabbing her stepmom and the cods in the studio said, no, 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 let's uh, bring in someone else to write this and make her a mute with a telepathic connection to him. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I don't know the, the, the story just, it's, it's not as tight as four was Four, you know, was very just kind of like on the rails and, and, and where it wanted you to go. And five, Five is just all over the place, man. Like it, it really has no rhyme or reason as to some of the decisions that it makes. The supporting characters are just very unlikable and very unnecessary to the film. And yeah, I'm just I'm 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 not a fan of Five at all. No, and this one we probably can you know not breeze through pretty much, but there's other ones that are better to talk about. So I guess we can jump into the actors. We've kind of hinted at it. Uh, you know, Rachel's still in this one for the beginning. She's awesome. Um, but the main stars of this one are Donald Pleasance and Bo Starr, uh, along with Wendy Kaplan, who's playing Tina, and obviously getting a little bit of uh, Jonathan Chapman as Mike uh, there before he's off. And then everyone else is kind of just... I don't know what you want to say, like fodder or whatever, but it's just, you know, people at the party. There's, you know, even her friend, um, her girlfriend who they go meet at the party still, it's just all kind of, there's not really anyone that's mentionable, at least that I think. 
I I definitely want to bring up. I don't I don't want to make uh you know let this get away. They do they do the character of Rachel so dirty in this film. Everything that they built up in four this badass like strong woman character is completely undone in 10 minutes and it pisses me off every time I see it. She is just reduced to basically Michael's first casualty of the film. Like it's nothing. Uh, they didn't give her, you know, any sacrificial moment for Jamie. Uh, she doesn't get like a big like ending. She just, she goes out just so cheaply and I hate it. I absolutely hate it when, when she gets taken out. It's, it's awful. Yeah. Um, so I guess then, I mean, we can talk Loomis in this one. He's getting crazier and crazier. He is like, you know, let's use Jamie for bait. He's believing everything she says. He's kind of, you know, pretty much doing everything you probably shouldn't be doing to try to figure out what's going on. So he has some, some great moments where into five and six, where you really just see him losing his marbles. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you guys want to say anything else on Loomis's performance on this one. Well, well, I mean, this is peak uh, crazy Loomis. Like he he officially loses it uh, in this film. I I think uh, you know uh, being around Michael all these years has finally just driven him insane. Especially that uh, that last scene that we'll talk about later. But uh, yeah, this is this is peak crazy for Loomis for sure. Yep, obviously some some more good uh, you know <laughs> monologues that he has. Um, I think he has a funny one. I think uh, I was trying to see. I prayed he would burn in hell, but in my heart I knew that hell would not have him. So you just kind of get the connection of more and more. You know, Michael is this you know creature that cannot be killed. <laughs> um, I guess we could talk about Michael Myers' performance. This yeah, was... this is the one with the the baggy mask. Mm-hmm. Yep, this is. This mask bothers me because it looks like someone like cut the back of it to fit it on someone with a big head, and then it's like, you know, coming out in the front. It's it's not really scary at all. It looks more like, you know, I think the mask that the kids had on in, in four looked better than um than this mask <laughs> that he has. Um, any thoughts on, on, uh, his portrayal? This one is someone different than the fourth and sixth, right? This is, yeah, this is Don Shanks. Uh, he, he's definitely, uh, a lot more physically imposing, I think, than, than George Wilbur. But the only problem I have with, with his performance, I mean, he does okay. Uh, but, uh, he looks absolutely nothing like Michael at all. Uh, especially when he, uh, when he removes the mask, uh, <laughs> I remember that scene. he has this like long black hair. Uh, and I don't know, that's just not Michael, uh, to me. I mean, you guys don't think that that whole sequence, I mean, even I just, okay. So the mask does ruin it. Totally. That's a horrible <laughs> mask because it, it, it's, it's coming out. I just don't understand why they don't, he's wearing a collar. Like why not tuck it in? Yeah. Yeah, he actually plays the the man in black too in this. It says on the uh, IMDb credits, so that's uh that's interesting. And he 
he he later uh, plays the killer, and I always know what you did last summer. One of the sequels to to that too, so it's kind of funny. Interesting. What, how about that shot of the man in black with the shotgun? Like it's like an action tough guy shot, and he's like, <laughs> I, you know, I know people can't see, it, but it's like a freeze frame, and you just see him like in an action shot, like shooting. It's so stupid. You know what really pisses me off about the men in, uh, the the man in black aspect of this film was you can totally tell that they just threw shit on a wall with that character and said, the next guys, who uh, whoever makes part six will figure it out. Like, yep. you know, it's not, it's not our responsibility to like want to explain this guy or who he is or what his story is. We'll just leave that for part six. And that's exactly what they do. And I don't know, it just, it, it feels so tacked on in this movie uh, in the fact that they had no fucking clue uh, what they were supposed to do with this character. Uh, and he gets him out of jail. I mean, yeah, but, you know. Yeah, I, I guess that's the that's the whole point of him there. And Six does, you know, as good of a job as he can do explaining an unexplainable character. Um, this one is funny. Uh, I guess if you guys want to go into the kills, he uses a ton of, like, farming and garden and all kinds of weird equipment in this one. He goes away from, you know, his knife for the most part. Um, like we mentioned before, he kicks things off where after being in a coma for a year with the hermit, he stabs him. And like we talked about Rachel's demise, she gets stabbed with some scissors in the chest. Um, and then from there, what do we get here? We get Mike. who <laughs> He comes up to his car with a, with a garden claw and just scrapes the shit out of it and he comes oh, out ready that. to <laughs> ready ready <laughs> to see what's going on and he just gets stabbed in the forehead with it which is uh an awesome one after after he got choked out <laughs> yeah um i don't know like i i don't think any like of the kills in in this one are are very memorable um you know maybe uh Maybe the only one that I can really think of is using that like scythe in the in the barn. I mean, that's really the only one that I can think of that is like has somewhat of like redeeming quality to it. Um, yeah, absolutely. everything else is just like he either. Uh, I think. No, oh, go ahead. No, I was just. I think this movie has good set pieces, man. I think the set pieces in this movie work. I'm not saying the kills are great, but like. The barn sequence is good. I mean, it's yep. annoying. The barn sequence is good. The duck, t- the duck, the air duck sequence is good. You know? Oh yeah, and the yeah, we can definitely sequence. talk about the air duck sequence. That one is awesome. Yeah, and the end of the house, the end of the house is good with Loomis beating the shit out of Myers. The the you are you are definitely right about the laundry shit like that. That's probably the best sequence of the film, um, especially where when when she like first gets in the shoot and she's like, please don't let him find me. Please God. I know. Like, <laughs> like, like she's just God. She's, she's so good in this movie. But, but five completely goes off of where we were before, where you kill people who are memorable. We get, you know, like you said, we get spits killed by a pitchfork. We get Samantha Thomas chest slice with a scythe. We get the two cops who are stabbed to death with a pitchfork. 
Uh, Tina gets stabbed in the chest. A couple more, like three more cops get killed. You get the head bashing into the car steering wheel. That's pretty brutal. And I think actually one of the deputies uh, gets has a cool kill where he's trying to help Jamie escape. And he gets hung with the uh, escape ladder um, as, as a noose, which is a pretty cool kill, but I definitely think we should probably get into the finale. Um, like we're talking about Jamie is kind of running away from Michael Myers. She slips down the laundry chute and it's locked at the bottom. And so Michael Myers comes down there and just starts stabbing through the metal. And it's really, you know, really tense, really good scene. Um, and then uh, is this the one where the, in the attic where they have like some some Uh kind of ceremony going on, right? Yeah. She she finds like all the bodies like of everybody that he killed like including Rachel and her dog and stuff like that. Poor and, Max. And, and that's when he asked him to take off his mask, and that little single tear runs down his face, which Michael would never do that. <laughs> no, like, would never fucking do that. You never. know the director was like, "This will be so romantic." Yep. This will just be so epic. And emotional. Absolutely. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand this character. That's not my Michael Myers. Like, Michael Myers has zero emotion whatsoever. But if he has a mo- if he has zero emotion, why would he go after his sister? He wouldn't care. It's because of the curse of the thorn required him to go <laughs> back and kill all of his family, of course. Exactly. Know. That's exactly uh, what it was. But and then this one, in addition to that, we before that all kind of happens, it's kind of funny because they try to do a setup, right? And then they have like a random call of Michael Myers is here, so every single person leaves except for Loomis, where he has his uh, and one of the police officers where he has a showdown um, with Michael there. And what what happens? He he gets uh, he, they use Jamie's bait and then they does he sedate him? Uh. My, uh, Loomis gives him drops, a trank gun. Loomis drops this like chain, like uh, net, like, yeah, net thing on him, and starts shooting him. Starts beating the shit it's out awesome. of him with a two I by do. four, <laughs> and then he uh, passes out from a stroke after after beating yeah. him. It, it, and that's where you kind of think the movie should end, but maybe because of this character that we keep hinting at, the the man in black, Michael, you know, is finally in custody and he's in a cell and they're going to try to transport him out to, to finally serve his, his sentence. And instead of that happening, the man in black comes in with a machine gun and kills everyone and explodes Michael out of his jail cell. Uh, and like you talked about the shotgun scene, just another, <laughs> I mean, same one, just as in four, just murders every single police officer and yeah. destroys the police station. It's less of a shotgun and more of like a Tommy gun. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Tommy thing. gun. It, it, it's funny, Michael's like sitting there jangling his chains. I don't understand that. <laughs> no, it, 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 Ben Meeker goes out, uh, you know, just him with a shotgun along with what, seven other cops? <laughs> Like, this is the movie of, like, good characters just totally being misused. Like, number one, Meeker doesn't have a lot to do in this film. And two, like, he gets taken out like a punk. Like, you know, like he's just a no-name cop. And that that sucks. Um, But, yeah, Cole, I've never understood why Michael is just, like, crouching down, like, playing with his chains. Like It's like he's, like, waiting. It's like, like, oh, we're going to hint to the audience that 
you know, something's going to happen. Michael's just, you know, like he's just sitting there. Well, I'm just waiting for this to happen, you know, because it's an event. You're waiting for an event. You know, you're kind of like a little antsy maybe. And it's like Michael wouldn't. It's just dumb. He, it's, uh, why would Michael even let, I, I don't even think you could get chains on him in a way. Like, I mean, I know he had his ass beat, but like, I think he could break them. If he really wanted to. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if Michael, if he actually got a chance to um, get Jamie Lloyd to not get in the jail cell, if they were going to um, do out their plan that, that they do in six. <laughs> was he going to kill her or is his goal there to uh, captivate her until he could impregnate her? <laughs> oh, God. Ew. <laughs> That's so gross. Um, but uh, I... I will say this, uh, as much as the ending in five just doesn't hold a candle uh, to part four's ending, uh, when she's walking through the jail and sees that he's gone, uh, just her absolute distraught and her voice uh, is still very moving, uh, you know, to me. Like, she's been through so much hell. Like, he's basically killed everyone that she knows. Uh, She's... She's basically alone uh, at this point. And for him to break out after all that, uh, God, that's rough. <laughs> it really is. Yep. So um, let's go on to uh, our, our thoughts on this one. Uh, I'm trying to remember back. I'm excited to, to finish the series. I think so far we've all gotten up to um, to number eight. But this is the worst uh, the second worst of the original um, seven Michael Myers films for me. Uh, and it is up there with, you know, obviously after Halloween two for me, uh, the Rob Zombie, it's right there at the bottom along with um, Resurrection. So definitely one of the worst three for me and not one I, you know, like I mentioned, definitely more likely to revisit the producer's cut of six than, than this one. Just skip that one altogether, most likely. What about you guys? Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't, I enjoy it, honestly. I think the, all the things, I mean, I agree with, I can't, but I mean, they are what they are. And I think for this movie, this, like I said, the, I think the set pieces are strong. Um, I think the movie overall is just completely ridiculous in every way. But I kind of like that. I can't, it's hard it's, it's really strange for me because these Halloween movies are movies that I don't take seriously, but I also do take very seriously because it's kind of a bummer because there's no real resolution in any sort of way, but yet there's still fine ways to get invested. Um, and so that's kind of how I feel um, with this one. It's um, I, I, the, the thing is, though, it's not really made with a lot of love or care. I don't think the you know, they didn't really care about the characters or the movie or anything like that. It's just somebody that just did it to have a job and that's fine, but it's unfortunate for this. And it shows with this movie, it shows that it doesn't really have a real identity. And I think that's the problem. It's the first movie in the series that doesn't have an identity, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, completely piggybacking on what both you guys are, are saying. Uh, definitely one of my least favorite, uh, in the series, uh, definitely on par, uh, with resurrection and Rob zombies, uh, Halloween too. But, uh, yeah, everything in this film is just, it's so muddled and so jumbled up. Like I, I, I feel like, uh, um, who's the director, Dominic Othenan Gerard, uh, (laughs) you know, he, uh, 
you know, he, he wanted to have like a vision of this and a vision of that, but I mean, it, it just, it, 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 it doesn't work for me. Uh, this film just kind of sticks out, uh, and not in a good way, uh, among the Thorn trilogy and just not one that I really ever want to revisit. Like, while I don't hate it as much as, uh, some of the other couple, uh, it's just, it's, it's so uninspired and it, it really does piss me off, you know, in what they could have done with some of those characters, like, you know, let Rachel, uh, take the place of Tina in this movie and sacrifice herself for Jamie. Yep. Like give, give, you know, Jamie a little bit more credit in her acting chops and don't make her a fucking mute. Uh, you know, just stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and flesh out the secondary characters a little bit. Uh, I didn't like a single person in this movie outside of Loomis and Jamie. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely not one of my favorites. Uh, definitely one I normally skip most of the time, but, uh, you know, def- you know, it's, it's not the worst. I'll give it that. It's not the worst. Do you know why we celebrate Halloween? A long, long time ago, it was a night of great power. When the days grew short, all across the land, huge bonfires were lit. Oh, there was a marvelous celebration. And they dressed up in costumes, hoping to ward off the evil spirits, especially the boogeyman. All right, well, uh... We are moving along uh, to the final film in the Thorn trilogy, and that is Halloween 6, uh, The Curse of Michael Myers, or uh, if you'd rather, Halloween 666, The Origin of Michael Myers. <laughs> um, is that a thing? That is a thing. That was the uh, original title uh, of the film uh, before it was changed. Uh, I actually kind of, I think, the origin of Michael Myers was kind of the kind of working title, I guess, for the producer's cut uh, before it got released. Uh, but there's actually a trailer uh, on the Blu-ray and online. You can look at it uh, where it actually says Halloween 666, the the origin of Michael Myers. That's pretty interesting. This movie barely has an identity, but it has one. Yeah, and, the, and this one's hard. How do you guys want to tackle this one? Do you want to talk about the original and then just briefly go over how the uh, producer's cut changes from the original or what are you thinking here? So, so I'm going to talk about the theatrical cut first uh, and then we can get into theatrical versus uh, producers uh, here in a minute, but okay, uh, that works. So, so let's get into a little, uh, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, about basically this film. So this film uh, was released uh, six years uh, after revenge of Michael Myers Um you know, which is quite a bit uh, of time, you know, uh, uh, especially with how quickly four and five were released kind of back to back of each other. I don't think they really knew where to take the story uh, in six. So they, you know, just kind of stewed on it uh, for a few years. But um, so they ended up uh, hiring this guy uh, named Joe Chappelle uh, and hiring uh, a writer uh, to do the script, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Daniel Ferrand's. Uh, and that name might sound familiar because uh, Daniel Franz directed uh, 
the very good uh, documentaries, uh, the Crystal Lake Memories uh, documentary about Friday the 13th and the Never Sleep Again uh, series uh, for Nightmare on, on Elm Street. So the guy is a big horror fan. Uh, he, he knows uh, about the mythology. I actually read that you know when he was hired for the job, he basically had like an encyclopedia like of the Halloween like franchise like he knew the series like front to back. So this is a guy that loved the series. Like he's he's a big horror fan like me and you and he got the opportunity to write a feature length film. But uh you know they they didn't quite know I I think where to take this film just because you know this film goes into some crazy territory. Uh you know really goes kind of out into left field about, you know, explaining uh, what makes Michael tick and, you know, kind of the backstory of what makes Michael Michael, why he won't die. Uh, and, you know, some aspects of it work, some do not. But, uh, you know, that's why we have a film that's so uneven. Uh, definitely a case, uh, this film, uh, definitely had a lot of, like, too many cooks in the kitchen. A lot Miramax. Of stu- yeah, Miramax, <laughs> the Weinsteins. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first involved. one from Miramax, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I believe New Line and Miramax had a bidding war uh, for this film. I almost wish New Line <laughs> would have ended up with this film. I think they knew what to do with horror a lot better uh, than Miramax did. But uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, the producers and the and the studio heads definitely had a lot of interference uh, in this film. I think Joe Chappelle did the best that he could. Uh, you know, Daniel Ferenz definitely, I think, wrote a good script. Uh, I think this film is actually one of the scarier uh, entries in the Halloween series. Uh, I think it's, I think it's very dark. Uh, I think Michael's uh, portrayal uh, is very frightening. Uh, I think his, I, I think Michael's very brutal uh, in this film, a lot more brutal than he was uh, in in four and five. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, you know, and it, it, it just went through a whole lot of trouble, uh, in its, in its production. And obviously, uh, you know, Donald Pleasance, uh, died, uh, toward the end of production, but still, I think they were trying to do reshoots and he wasn't available because he had passed. So that definitely didn't help either. Um, you know, and just, uh, you know, I, I think they had a vision, and then I think uh, it just kind of got very convoluted uh, with everyone else trying to put their input, uh, you know, with this and that and the design and you know the characters and where they wanted to take the story. And ultimately, you get with, with the theatrical cut a very muddled mess. Uh, a lot of it does not make sense. The ending specifically does not make sense. The Michael Myers mask and a knife. <laughs> They they just jumble a bunch of shots in here together. Just jump cuts around. It's just it's it's very it's very MTV style editing, and um, I don't care for it. Uh, at oh, all. it's kind of fun the MTV style editing. I mean, like I know it's I know it's shitty, but like it is what it is. You know, it's evocative I mean, in some ways. I mean, I guess I guess this is Michael Myers like in the nineties. Like this is the first film yeah, that was it's you know very released 90s. in the nineties. It's it's very distinctly 90s um, in a way that's Grunge. fun. I mean, 
yeah, it's a little grungy, a little gross. I, I like it. It kind of has a, I don't know, there's a little more of an attitude to it. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good attitude, but, you know, I, I think it's got some good stuff in it. You know, we're going to talk about the characters for sure, but, you know, this movie has a feel to it. I, I definitely think the producer's cut is, you know, does its own thing in a way that I prefer. Me too. Uh, that's my preferred cut for sure. Um, overall, it's just so, it's such a better paced movie. But um, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I, I, I just recently kind of was able to come around to it within the past couple years. Um, once I saw Me the too. producer's cut. The producer's cut definitely did the same thing for me. And I'm glad Tyler's explaining this one because good luck on the synopsis on this one, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, basically what, uh, what transpires uh, in this film, uh, we pick up like five or six years after the events uh, of five. Uh, Jamie is being kept uh, by this uh, kind of cult of the thorn, uh, which I'll get into in a minute. It's... <laughs> It's, it's crazy. But uh, so Jamie uh, has a child that may or may not be Michael's as well, which incest baby uh, for sure. Yeah. Which that's a, that's a whole nother story. Um, so basically in the theatrical cut, uh, man, Jamie gets done dirty uh, in this film. Basically, uh, you know, we follow her throughout all of four and five and uh, she's taken out very early uh, in six Um so then uh, we fast forward back to Haddonfield. Uh, we're introduced for the first time since the first movie. Tommy Doyle is back as a character uh, portrayed excellently by uh, Paul Stephen Rudd. Um, <laughs> first movie, and, uh, right? Yeah, first film. Uh, this was right before Clueless hit uh, as well. So uh, this was right before he hit it big a little bit. But uh, yeah, we have Tommy Doyle. Uh, he's paranoid uh, about Michael. Uh, Dr. Loomis is obviously back. Donald Pleasance is the last film role uh, of his career. Um, no prosthetics. No prosthetics. Uh, his burns healed uh, healed very well over the years. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, we have uh, you know Dr. Loomis and and Tommy. Uh, Tommy finds uh, Jamie's baby. Uh, tries to keep him safe. Uh, Michael ends up going back to Haddonfield. Uh, the Strode family, uh, which I guess I, is, I like them. Yeah. I mean, they're all great. Um, well, the, the um, dad, but <laughs> well, yeah, except for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is the family, uh, the kind of relatives of the family, I guess that adopted, uh, Lori Strode. Uh, I guess this is, uh, her cousin and uncle and aunt and, you know, whatever living in, uh, the old Myers house. Um, why? And, uh, yeah, why would you do that? But uh, it 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 goes to explain how he's such a just shady, shitty guy that uh, he moved his family into the Myers house because they couldn't sell the house itself. But uh, yeah, what a what a shitty guy. <laughs> he's, he's he's awful. The, he's the worst. So I, the thing that I always get lost in is the Strode and this like all the familial stuff. Like, so that's because I was like, there's no way. So that's Jamie and Michael's baby, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and then Karen, Kara. And Danny, Kara. She's not a Karen. I'm sorry, Kara. <laughs> 
and Danny are related to Lori in some they're their original family. They're the adoptive family. Kara is basically Lori's first cousin uh, because they right. say that uh, in the film that like your brother couldn't sell this house. And so they're saying right. that that yes. was Lori's dad, uh, you know, and so basically this is Lori's uncle, aunt and cousins. Basically, so Lori's in this house. So the dad is Lori's brother, Lori's uncle. I mean, so yeah, no, okay, yeah. So the dad, the dad, the asshole dad in this movie, is Lori's dad's brother. Exactly. Uh, and his and dad it, bailed on the house, and he was stuck with the house. And why didn't Jamie Lloyd stay with them instead of foster parents? We don't know. Right, because the mom is so nice. <laughs> I love the mom. She's so sweet. She is. She is. And uh, she slips her a nice twenty every every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um. But yeah, uh, so the Strohs are living in this house. Michael comes back, obviously. They're living in his house, uh, starts killing off members of the family. Uh, that sequence uh, where he stalks uh, Mrs. Strode, that might be the most effective scene uh, of the film. The way that like he just kind of lurks uh, in the laundry sheets. and In the you know, house? Looking, That's awesome. And, and, and in the house, uh, super effective, super creepy. Yeah, definitely. I thought you were going to say the most effective of the entire series. <laughs> no, not quite. But p- picking up from five, it definitely feels like like true cinema there. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely does. It's it's a good one. It's sad, too. I was like, no. But th- th- this is a little bit, this script feels a little bit like it maybe should have been 30 pages less because of just when you're trying to explain it, you're like, Tommy lives in a boarding house across the way, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Blankenship's boarding house. And then her, her whole family's here in this house. And then this is the one too, where they have the, um, don't they have like the, the party put on by the radio station? Barry, Barry's coming to town. Barry Sims, uh, a a Howard Stern wannabe. I, yep. I actually think they wanted to get Howard Stern for this movie, but they couldn't get him. Uh, you know, so obviously they wanted to, you know, portray the best Howard Stern characterization they could, but, uh, exactly. But just think about all that going on on top of having a, you know, cult of thorn druid curse and, you know, the baby and having the, everything else going on in the basements of Haddonfield. It's just insane. Like it would take us two hours to (laughs) try to explain the whole thing. So the cliff notes, basically, Tommy kind of goes into, and I don't know how he figured this out, first of all, but uh, so Michael apparently belongs to this, uh, I guess, uh, cult of Thorn. Uh, They're a cult that basically kind of watches over him, you know, guides him, you know, makes him do, you know, basically their bidding. Uh, You know, that's why you have the tattoos on him and uh, eventually Dr. Wynn, who is revealed uh which is I've, I've always thought was random dr Wynn was a very passing character in the first film right like he like he walked out of the sanitarium with loomis for like and you saw him for 30 seconds yep in the in the in the original first film he taught michael how to drive though taught him how to drive gave him lessons but yeah for for that character to be michael's like caretaker uh i thought it was just completely random as hell 
It, um, it, it really, really was where you think back trying to tie everything together and make it seem like all the movies are cults about sacrifices as he's been, you know, having him under his wing to do the bidding of, uh, of this, uh, you know, Druid <laughs> Thorn, you know, Mark. So cult, what, what uh, it is, I'm going to take it back a second here. So essentially the cult of Thorn that I think, yeah, I think the Druids had an alphabet. And Thorn was a member of their alphabet, was like a, a you know a letter in their alphabet. And Thorn it was, is it a was curse. the one letter. Yeah, Thorn was the one that was like evil, you know, like bad juju, like you know that was the so one. So every person, every person in the tribe was assigned, or like one person in the tribe of each tribe was assigned a mark of Thorn, and that is carries a curse, and that curse can be passed along. Which is bullshit. Um, it has to be passed along, seemingly, um, and they do that in the alternate ending of the producer's cut. Yep. Um, yeah. Which is great um, in its own way, but you know the way that all that is revealed through Doctor Wynn um, is totally different in each movie. Um, yeah. But and and I think you know I think it does well in it, and it, it's man, oh gosh, the ending of the producer's cut is just so. So wild, um, so wild. I, I, I did so not see Mrs. Blankenship being a cult member. That one was a shock to me for sure. Dude. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Rosemary's um, baby. So, yeah. Um, so before we get into the producer's cut, I'm just gonna finish out kind of the synopsis of the theatrical cut. Uh, it definitely gets a little muddled uh, in the theatrical cut. Uh, once uh, the cult uh, captures, I guess, Kara and Danny and take them. Uh, to Smith's Grove. After that, I don't really know why stuff happens the way it does. Uh, you know, because in the theatrical cut, I guess Dr. Wynn and some of the doctors of the sanitarium are going to do like some type of experiment on Danny and the baby. I don't, it, you know, Slash what? sacrifice. <laughs> you know what? The less questions you ask about it, the better. Um, and so they basically let Michael walk the halls. Um, by himself, uh, basically killing uh, anyone and everyone he pleases uh, until he actually gets uh, to the operating room and dispatches of like uh, 20 doctors, uh, give or take, uh, very, uh, very sadistically. But um, yeah. Um, I, I have the synopsis on Wikipedia <coughs> and they said, Stephen is implied to be the successful result of experiments to clone Michael's pure evil and the cult plans to use Danny and Kara to create another one. Ew. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, basically, um, Tommy and Kara and, uh, Danny, uh, run away, uh, and, uh, Tommy ends up beating the hell, uh, out of Michael. Um, and I don't really know why a bunch of green goo, uh, comes out of Michael. Cause he got injected with the, the green goo. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how that works. What about the thing? Why did Michael kill all of the doctors and everyone who was in the experiment room? Do we that's, know why that, that happened? No, no, that's exactly why the theatrical cut is so fucking just confusing because like it, it literally never explains why Michael turned on all them. Uh, you know why he did that. Like it, it, it literally just never says the entire time. Um, but uh, basically the ending uh, of the theatrical cut, 
Tommy and Kara and the kids uh, try to leave town. Loomis stays behind because he has some unfinished business to take care of. Uh, you see Michael's mask. Loomis screaming. Uh, obviously probably died uh, due to Michael. Uh, just a very unfulfilling uh, ending, um, in my opinion. Yeah, it has a weird cut, too, because it just cuts to them being like, do you want to get in the car? But you want to go? See, yeah, then you see in the producer's cut, it's so much better. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> speaking of said producer's cut, uh, let's get into a little bit of uh, theatrical uh, versus producer's cut. So um, a little backstory uh, on the producer's cut. Uh, this cut, for the longest time, uh, I remember... You know, back in the uh, early internet days, uh, you know, reading uh, a bunch of Halloween like message boards and like fan sites and hearing about this producer's cut. And it, you know, obviously had never been released to the public. Uh, it was only available on like random like bootleg like VHSs that you could like find in like the dark corners of like eBay and stuff of like somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who recently had the producer's cut type thing. Uh, I ended up buying uh, a copy of the of the producer's cut. I think when I was like uh, twelve or thirteen or some or like fourteen or something like that. And I I kid you not, the quality was uh, I could barely make out uh, anything that was said. It was grainy. The dialogue. Uh, would come in and out. You could see the production code uh, on all of the deleted scenes uh, of the producer's cut. It was a very shoddy uh, version uh, of the film, and we wouldn't get a true release uh, of the producer's cut until uh, just like six or seven years ago, when uh, you know the big Halloween uh, set uh, was released. That was the official first. Uh, first release uh of the producer's cut itself but um yeah it's uh it's very different uh from the theatrical cut uh you know uh first of all the the theatrical cut uh definitely has a lot more violence in it uh a lot of the kills uh are a lot more gruesome uh in the theatrical cut than uh than in the producer's cut um which necessarily doesn't really work. I mean, for the film. I mean, I I know that a bunch of the cools kills are cool uh, in the theatrical cut. Like the one that comes to mind is uh, the dad's uh, head uh, exploding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which doesn't take place in in the in the producer's cut. No. He just gets gets shocked to death. But uh, yeah, stuff like that is just it's 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 weird decisions like that that they made like that. You know. Yeah, I don't really understand why, but it's fine. Honestly, I think um, in a lot of ways, I think it, it's fine and it works even because it is subdued. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess just the Akkads didn't want that. Is the only thing I can think of. They didn't want that brutality. Maybe they're a little more old-fashioned. I don't know. So from what I heard, the Akkads and the, and the producers kind of wanted a very kind of straight by the numbers Halloween like we had gotten, uh, you know, in the past. And Joe Chappelle, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, who, who directed the film wanted to take it into a crazy new direction. He actually didn't even want Loomis, uh, in the film. He thought the character of Loomis was boring, which like that's sacrilege, uh, in, in my opinion. But, uh, 
Yeah, uh, a few other uh, random changes that were made. Uh, the producer's cut has a completely different score. Uh, definitely a much more like traditional uh, Halloween score. In your theatrical cut, it's the we we talked about it earlier that like heavy metal kind of like interludes like you know whenever Michael appears, uh, you know very ninety and 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 very grungy feel uh, that they were trying to go for. But uh, the producer's cut actually has a much more like traditional uh halloween score as well um that kind of plays throughout the film uh a few other things uh a lot of alternate and deleted scenes like jamie doesn't get killed uh in the barn at the beginning um you know a bunch of random added scenes that kind of add depth uh to the strode family uh but the main part that changes uh is the actual ending itself a uh, completely different ending uh, than what we got with the theatrical. Basically, the Cult of Thorn is trying, uh, I guess, to hold a ceremony, uh, basically where Danny will kill his mom and, I guess, become the new bearer of Thorn, which makes a lot more sense uh, than what they tried to pull off uh, with the theatrical version. Uh, but then, uh, basically, uh, Tommy breaks in, uh, frees Kara and Danny, uh basically traps Michael, uh, in this kind of like, uh, this <laughs> traps him in the runes, <laughs> he says, but, uh, you know, traps Michael, uh, they escape, uh, and then we're left, uh, with Loomis staying behind and finding Michael, uh, unmask him. And we find out that it's Wynn instead of Michael. And then Wynn actually passes on the curse of, uh, Michael's, uh, I guess, uh, guardian onto Loomis, which I mean, I kind of like the ending because Michael escapes. Loomis is now the guardian. Uh, I think it's a cool ending. Uh, it is personally. cool. It, it is cool. It's funny. Loomis's reaction, like when dies and then he like looks at his hand and then he's like, ah! <laughs> it's like a delay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. I don't know. And it's really I, cheesy. It is, but honestly, it's it's better than what we got with the theatrical cut. Like I didn't understand what the fuck was going on uh with the doctors with you know, with them finding that room like with embryos and stuff. Like I I I didn't I didn't get it. I didn't want to get it really, but uh I don't know. You guys both prefer the producer's cut to the theatrical, right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I definitely do. I think, like you said, the the jump cuts and everything going on with there's not really a story. Last 15 minutes does a great job actually, you know, finishing it. It doesn't have him turn on the staff either, right? So we get that part, the massacre at least in there, um, taken out and adding in more Halloween score. Uh, there's a pretty good video by, I think I said dead meat, right on YouTube. It's like 20 minutes long that goes into every single change and what the difference is and what they decided to do. And just adding back some of the Halloween score and taking away some of the random, you know, rock music in there, um, definitely makes it feel more like a Halloween film and obviously wrapping up whether how weird the ending is obviously with, you know, stones and whatever is going on there, but, um, definitely works better for me and is the one runes. I yeah <laughs> the runes definitely well, I, one he just finds them in that cloak that he's wearing <laughs> he just finds them and then puts them out and then he says Sam Hain I guess so which which 
like honestly, they if if they would have gone with the storyline of the producer's cut, they probably would have made that scene a lot better. Uh, you know, it was it was very kind of uh I don't know. It it was cheesy. Uh Paul Rudd putting stones on the floor to trap Michael uh is a very cheesy uh plot device, but uh you know, it 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 is what it is. But um you know, I don't think either version is very coherent. Uh I think both are very flawed uh storylines. But the producer's cut definitely uh, is the preferred uh, cut for me as well. Uh, I definitely would have liked to have seen what they would have done with the story after this if like Donald Pleasance hadn't have passed away and if they would have continued with the story, like where it would have gone. Uh, I think it would have been interesting, personally. Yep, but instead we get the the next uh, Choose Your Own Adventure, <laughs> which we'll be talking about next week. Exactly. But uh, let's jump into some of the characters uh, and actors of this film. Um, as I said, uh, Donald Pleasance is back for his final uh, portrayal as Dr. Loomis. Um, I personally think Donald Pleasance finally looks uh, tired in this film. He, he kind of looks over it <laughs> a little bit. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, you know, obviously his, his days were numbered. Uh, and he was kind of just going through the motions a little bit. He couldn't do a lot of the action stuff that he did uh, in the previous films, and he couldn't give quite as much emotion uh, as he could. I still love the character. Uh, I think it's a good send-off for him, uh, all things considered. But, uh, yeah, definitely uh, definitely miss him uh, in the series for sure. Um, so we get into uh, – Paul Rudd, Paul Stephen Rudd, uh, Tommy Doyle uh, is back in this film. And I always wondered why they didn't bring his character back because it, 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 it was such a good opportunity of just like how him being scarred as a child, like, you know, resonated to him as an, as an adult. And I love Paul Rudd in this movie. Uh, Me I think too. <laughs> he, he strikes just the right balance of being creepy but caring uh, for everyone that he's trying to protect. Uh, he's and, not and, creepy at all. <laughs> I mean, when when he's staring at Kara through that telescope, oh my yep. gosh, on the on the rainy night, uh, that's a little creepy. But yeah, uh, he's funny. Like like that scene where he finds the baby and he meets Loomis. The way he like turns back to like look at him. He like he like if you like go watch the scene, he like jolts back and looks at, and it's like you can tell Paul Rudd is really trying but his skills aren't just all the way there yet as an actor and he like does this like little head tilt like Michael does and it's just <laughs> so not I don't know sorry I just was like oh my god come on so anytime in the film where he's trying to explain curses or thorn or something. I just can see, I just can see Paul Rudd going like, what the fuck am I reading right now? Right. You know? Isn't there one about like where the stars were aligned on the certain nights of each, you know, past event and things like that. And he has his 95 piece of shit computer with like, you know, some, some uh, CGI that's trying for, for the time. <laughs> some, some, uh, some word art, uh, that he that he put together for the yep. runes, <laughs> but but no, Paul Rudd's great in the in, in the movie. I I wish he would come back uh, as Tommy uh, in the new. Me film. too. Do you know how amazing that would be? He might. He might have. No, 
Anthony Anthony Michael Hall is playing Tommy. In, oh, really? Uh, in Halloween, Kills, I didn't even which, know that. Which I I guess I won't judge until I see his portrayal. But uh, gotta wait. Hey, yeah. we're we're getting the real Lindsay Wallace, though. We are getting the real Lindsay Wallace. That's that's true. But uh, yeah, some of the other characters, uh, the Strode family, uh, the main uh, character in the film is Kara Strode, uh, played by Marianne Hagen. Uh, she's good. Uh, she's, uh, you know, kind of the, you know, bystander uh, along for the ride with Loomis and, you know, Tommy and, you know, basically trying to protect, uh, you know, her son and, you know, trying to get away from Michael. But I mean, she does a good job, uh, too. Uh, not quite as strong as like a Lori or a, or a Jamie, but. You know, she does what she needs to do. Yeah, I, I think she's like. pretty good too. She's I think she's um sympathetic. Yeah. I agree. Um and uh her family, I mean we've already talked about her dad. Her dad's the biggest fucking prick uh yep. in the film. Uh her brother is kind of a slacker who doesn't care, who ends up getting offed by Michael in their house. Uh, we talked about her mom, uh, who gets stalked uh, by Michael in that really good scene. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's just, I mean, you definitely feel their, their family dynamic, uh, for sure. Um, oh, probably the biggest character we need to talk about is that of Jamie. Um, so a little backstory, uh, Daniel Harris obviously wanted to play Jamie again, you know, uh, you know, that was her character. You know, she had played her for two movies, really wanted to, you know, give the character justice. Wasn't even asking for that much money to reprise her role. And the producers just kind of balked at her lowball offer and wouldn't even like consider her. Hired another actress by the name of JC Brandy, who, I mean, she's okay, but she's not Daniel Harris. Like, when it's I think hard of to Jamie, even know that it's her. Exactly. Exactly. Like, when I think of, Jamie Lloyd, I think of Daniel Harris and nobody else. And it just sucks that, you know, I feel like the producers like had a golden opportunity to, you know, keep the continuity there. Uh, and they just completely fucked it up, uh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, she's only in the film for like a whole 10 minutes. Um, so it's not a huge part, but it definitely would have been nice to see, uh, Daniel Harris, uh, you know, wrap up her character, uh, in the sixth film for sure. Um, yeah. Do you want to get into what, some of the kills here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's a great kill in the opening. Um, and it's the nurse who helps, uh, Jamie Lloyd escape the cults, um, with her baby and Michael Myers just roam in the hall. Uh, grabs her and sticks her head on a wall spike and it just kind of sets the tone um, for the film and then as he goes chasing Jamie Lloyd he uh, you know, snaps snaps this guy's uh, head open <laughs> and then goes after Jamie and impales her and puts her in the corn thresher um, oh. or, or I guess in the producer's cut it's different right you get shot in, in the in the producer's cut she just gets stabbed and then kind of left for dead uh yeah that's we, right and then we we ultimately find her in the hospital and the man in black uh aka dr Wynn ends up taking her out uh randomly 
That's right. And then obviously here, you know, we're up in the body count. So there's, there's a ton more, obviously Deborah, uh, strode with the ax. John gets a great come up ins, uh, where he gets stuck into the fuse box and his head explodes. I think we kind of mentioned that briefly. Um, Barry Sims gets stabbed. Tim Strode gets his throat slit. Beth gets stabbed. Um, we get the doctor in the theatrical cut. Obviously we get all of these additional kills, um, where one of the doctors gets in all of his, um, you know, coworkers, <laughs> cult members get hacked up with the, uh, the machete. Uh, and then lastly, the, uh, head slam through the metal bars in the theatrical cut. So, um, I guess the main thing on this and kind of, you know, for, for my view of what you're looking at is if you like gore, if you like, you know, seeing tons of kills, check out the theatrical cut. If you want something that makes a little bit more sense and is a little bit more congruent with the story and make, you know, just maybe for an easier watch, um, I would recommend the, the producer's cut on this one. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say, uh, before, uh, we talk about our I'll find our, our final opinions uh, is the actual portrayal of Michael. Uh, George P. Wilbur is back as his second portrayal of Michael. Michael, I think, is the most brutal uh, and scary in this film than I think he's ever been uh, outside of like the first one. I think he just brings this like added just sadisticness that uh, we missed, I think, from like four and five uh, and some of the future ones. Uh, I really like his uh, his portrayal in this film a lot. Me too. Definitely scary. Like you mentioned, brings it back to, I don't think he's any scarier since, since two, um, in six. So exactly. And I like the mask too. Like the mask actually ends up being, uh, pretty good compared to four and five. All right. Uh, so I guess, uh, final thoughts, uh, on Halloween six. So the curse of Michael Myers, um, you know, this movie, definitely isn't perfect. Um, you know, both the producer and theatrical cut definitely have their issues, but I've kind of really grown to like it a lot. Uh, it's one of those ones in the series where when I first saw it, I wasn't a huge fan of it just because of like how convoluted, uh, and just messy it was, uh, for the longest time. But over time I've actually learned to kind of respect it. And, uh, you know, kind of like the vibe that it was going for. It was definitely trying for something new and it's something that I can get behind. Um, you know, obviously they didn't do it perfectly, but, you know, like the characters a lot, you know, like the portrayal of Michael, uh, you know, and I, it's, it's definitely probably in my middle, uh, favorites, uh, definitely not in the top few, but definitely nowhere near uh, the bottom as well. Um, so I've, I've definitely come to enjoy it over the years for sure. Yep, me too. Especially the producer's cut. I put this just above the 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 bottom bunch with the um with the resurrection and five and zombies. It's it's right there in the middle, like you mentioned for me. Yeah, same here. It, it, it's one that I think is really fun. I think it's fun to talk about and actually show people. Um, I tried to convince my girlfriend to watch it with me, but no luck. But it's um, it's still one that kind of surprises me if I don't think about it for a couple of years. And I and I just saw the producer's cut um, just maybe two or three years ago. So, yeah. Pretty new to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I like it more, for sure. I think it yeah. really builds everything back up in a way that's 
seems a little more final than I don't know. Like you said, it's unfulfilling the way the the theatrical cut ends. It's so cheap. It's just like it does not give a shit about the audience. It's so annoying. no, it 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 really doesn't. Um, and it just kind of leaves you leaves you hanging, really. Yeah. Um, you know, without Cheated. any rhyme or reason. It's pointless. Yeah. And that's the the wrap up of one of the choose your own adventures one two uh, four five six. Exactly. Um, we'll get into more connection uh, next week of uh, actual one and two, and we uh, dive into uh, a good one and a not so good one. Uh, we'll be covering H two O and Resurrection next week, so uh, we have that to look forward woot, to. Woot. But. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, thanks for uh, continuing on this uh, Halloween journey with us. Uh, we've still got a couple more episodes to go, obviously. Um, but uh, we thank you for your support. We thank you uh, that you tune in every week. Uh, we love hearing your feedback. And uh, for you to subscribe uh, to the pod channel uh, and leave us a review as well. But uh, in the meantime, uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram at the.shape.1978. Uh, I guess go, I guess go visit my Instagram, give me a like, give me a comment, whatever you want to do. Yep. Lots of fun movies being watched. And, uh, after, um, for me, after October, I'll usually switch over to some, some more highbrow stuff to, as a palate cleanser. I don't know about you guys, but I try to cram in as much horror as I can in October take a little break in November, yeah. obviously watch, watch some new stuff, uh, here and there, but, um, that's always nice, but you can follow, um, the podcast, uh, page on Twitter and Instagram at scream cinema pod. And then I have my personal one, which is at screaming cinema. So, um, definitely check us out. Got tons of, uh, you know, new movies and stuff coming in for review and obviously buying more movies than we should. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, you can find me at uncut.films with a Z. Uh, doing a lot of the same. Not really posting as much until I'm thinking about it later. I am doing all those things. I'm reviewing movies with, from Fresh Fiction. On Fresh Fiction, um, I'm uh, still on Rotten Tomatoes watching some cool stuff that's not horror. Uh, for sure, um, I, I, I watch a lot of stuff at home. I, I really should post that more because it is kind of a fun story uh, to take people on and I'm always watching different stuff, watching stuff with my girlfriend, which is really fun for me. And one of my favorite things to do in my life is show her new stuff. Um, and so I, I should document that more, but I don't, uh, because I just don't. Um, but I am on there and you can hit me up. So. All right, guys. Uh, well, thank you once again, uh, for joining us, uh, be on the lookout, uh, as we continue to release episodes, uh, on a weekly basis, uh, for the rest of the Halloween season, uh, and catch us next week, uh, when we continue with the Halloween series. But, uh, until that time, uh, we will catch you then and, uh, y'all stay safe and we'll see you next time.